This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hey everybody, it's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. And when Washington crossed the Delaware, he would have had it so much better if where I am right now was open. And that's the Referend Beer Blendery. And James Priest is sitting across from me. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for coming out. We're going to be talking about all things spontaneous and wood-aged and microflora and all of the other good things that you've been doing here and the, the name that you've been making for yourself at the brewery. But first, I want to thank our sponsors for this episode. As the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, Gene D. Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. Thinking outside of the box, whether it's a simple relocation of the utility connections for a complex buildup or ground-level design and engineering, Gene D. is ready to meet the challenge. Contact Gene D. Chillers today at 1-800-555-0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Mention this podcast, the Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine podcast, and receive up to $1,000 worth of glycol with the purchase of any new G&D chiller. And also, Tavur is the easiest and tastiest way to explore the world from the comfort of your home. Select delicious craft beers on the Tavur app that you cannot find in your area and get them delivered right to your door. It's not a beer of the month club where you end up with lagers that you have to give to your grandpa. Download the free Tavor app today and get $10 in beer money with the code BREWING. James Priest, referent beer blendery. Uh, what's the beer that we have in front of us right now? Uh, this is Berliner Massa Gloria. To the extent that we have any kind of, uh, I don't know, not quite flagship, but staples here. It's something we try to keep on all the time. So it's a spontaneously fermented Berliner Weisse of sorts. Um, so high proportion of wheat, mostly raw wheat in this case, uh, all local grain at this point, aged hops, short boil, a little spontaneous pre-acidification uh, by holding it hot before fermentation, let lactobacillus do some acidifying, and then spontaneous fermentation in barrels for probably an average of, and for this blend, six or nine months, somewhere wow. in there. The and you usually have this on. Yes, yeah, yeah, almost always, yeah. Try out with Citra Mosaic and Simcoe, those little, that little classic trinity. Is that um, aged as well? Those are all fresh. Okay. Fresh for, the, for those dry hops. We haven't yet really experimented too much with the, yeah, aged dry hopping. I, I, I could, just, done, I could hear a thousand Hayesburgers screaming in know, the night right? of it's you a, taking Citra and Mosaic. And, yeah. Yeah. We've used some. Uh, we did... We did a, a long time ago a collaboration with our mutual friend in Denver, and they had some old whole leaf citra. I feel really? like we've seen or used old whole leaf amarillo as well, but it's hard when the alphas are that high. It's like to know what you're working with too many years in. Well, for those who don't know your... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word brewery, mm, that's, um, that's, but, but it is, it's technically a blendery because I'm looking around and there's, there's no stainless. Like nothing. there's no... Brew house, there's no hot liquor tank, there's no, you don't actually brew Correct. here. This is where the, the, the blending happens, this is where the, uh, the aging happens. Right, the fermenting. Yeah. So, so how, how does it work for you? Like how, do, how do you get 
so wort re ready for, for spontaneous fermentation. So the, the day looks roughly like uh, I load up a large box truck that has, that's probably, you know, three quarters dominated by a large stainless cool ship. Um, loaded up with New Jersey grown grain, pretty much always just pills malt and raw wheat, um, aged hops, and uh, one to three IBC totes. Drive over to a host brewery. We brewed at maybe 11 different breweries across uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey so far. Um, and then spend the day brewing there with them. It's, not, it's still technically like contract work. It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not like an alternating proprietorship, but depending on... Um, but you're you know, bringing in your own ingredients. We're bringing our own ingredients. You're standing our own over recipe. the equipment. We're making sure that everything goes well and that if there are any like, you know, on the day judgment calls that need to be made, those are able to be made by me um, because most of the process is uh, kind of antithetical to most conventional brewing wisdom. So I have to kind of intuit what the right call is if there's something to be done there. Um, yeah, depending on the, the brew day, probably takes anywhere prior to knocking out into the cool ship between, for like our Berliners with a, you know, shorter truncated kind of turbid mash and shorter boil, maybe seven, still seven hours probably. <laughs> and then some of the Lambic inspired brew days with a full turbid mash procedure and a full, you know, four or five or six hour boil. 12, 14 hours, probably. How big is your cool ship? It can technically hold something like 44 barrels. We've only ever put up to maybe 32 in it. Um, and there's like an interior partition, like roughly dividing it one third and two thirds so that in the smaller section, it very comfortably holds 10 barrel batches. Um, even if we overshoot a little the rear section 15 or 20 and then if we've got you know 30 to 40 we can fill up the whole thing so you're only brewing in the appro appropriate cool ship beer weather yes and for us we extend that a little bit wider than one would uh for most of like the lambic breweries tell um, me about that so for our berliner especially and for our saison to a to a degree um, we can use sort of the, the fringe seasons a little more because we don't need a full cooling and maybe some of the, um, you know, bacteria that are considered less advantageous might not be such a bad thing for, you know, just their effect on lowering pH and acidifying. Um, so through pretty much all of October, um, this kind of peak uh, Berliner Messe brewing season for us and then March through May, similarly, um, okay. just watching the weather because it can be pretty variable around here. We can, yeah, depending on the week, be brewing sometimes both, you know, uh, yeah, golden ale and, and that pale wheat ale, um, which and is how we refer to, sorry, like our, our Lambic uh, inspired beers just become spontaneously fermented golden ales. And uh, the Berliner Messe's uh, that don't, uh, well, just the genericized version of that we call just a pale wheat ale. Um, and then some of them, if they don't quite fit the exact target framework of Berliner Messe, will use 
just with that moniker, spontaneously fermented pale wheat ale, yeah. you know, do other treatments to them. I'm imagining, though, so if you had a, uh, a brew house here, you could be watching the forecast and be ready to go. Yes, it and, would be massively helpful. Yeah, but when you're working with other host breweries, uh, as it were. Right. We still, I mean, that's part of the big challenge, really, is scheduling not only... It's hard enough, as most people in the world know now, just scheduling anything with, like, two people, two parties, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's, it's very difficult. And then, um, right, when you have to factor in the weather as well, uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's touch and go at times. Because you also need, a lot of the time with your cool ship, like, where are you parking this? Like, where are you hoping to get, like, because you you leave it on the host brewery's property. property. Right. It's, uh, it depends on where we are. Um, we're generally not that picky. Um, <laughs> it's, I, it's, you know, it's, cer- yeah, it's certainly yeah. overly romanticized. And then, and then the backlash of like, oh, you know, people are always talking about how it, you know, oh, it should be, you know, somewhere, you know, just idyllic and uh you know pastoral and 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 then people are like well you know Cantillon's in you know this yeah it's, just it's, it's, not, a, it's not a great it's yeah. not a great neighborhood and yeah. so it's like i mean right the i don't know the truth is you could you can pick up something anywhere if the air itself to me smells good like we're not cool shipping in newark anytime ever you know okay like if if the if the air smells bad for whatever reason whether it's a dumpster there or heavy industry that's not a place we're going to brew so have but, you scouted out the places beforehand then have you walked yeah, around with much, your nose yeah, up in the air uh, we, taking mean, deep it, breaths yeah, yeah, if, yeah there are certain places that are yeah a little too industrially dense um where you can smell just kind of chemicals in the air or yeah or their byproducts and it's it's really interesting. I remember talking to the guys, I think it was Dovetail in Chicago, mm-hmm. which have a cool ship right like downtown. Under the L or and, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and their their line was, you know, uh, we just ferment with whatever the L brings us. I love it. Uh, the, you know, but I mean, but that's sort of a different, a different Right, and they're doing then. fully, yeah, that urban, that urban model. Um, and that... But you're a little bit more of a traditionalist. I mean, you, I, oh. I, in my conversations with you, <laughs> I, you're very, I know you're very I'm cautious torn. about language, uh, yes. first and foremost, but... Uh, but two, you're you're sort of towing that line a little bit, where there's the romanticism to, right. of the past. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's important to know tradition, know where things come from, um, but what you do with it from there, I think, is is sort of the more fun part. Um, hmm. So when you found a suitable location mm-hmm. then to set up the cool ship. Uh, are you leaving it in the brewery? Are you leaving it in a parking lot? Because then you're going to have to worry about overnight conditions. You're going to have to worry about a, a, a rainstorm coming through right. or yeah, any yeah. number of yeah. things. Of um, Are you screening it? Like, is there a screen or a mesh that goes on top? Or you there's not. I mean, we play with some stray leaves and, just, and autumn. We, if, if it's windy enough, there's definitely been, yeah, leaves are in the spring, you know, little, um, like, you know, dandelion seed heads and things, all kinds of fun. Uh, yeah. Fishing those out first, I hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they get, they get <laughs> racked off with the leaves, you know, they, they, yeah. they get left behind. Um, I, I love it when that happens. But, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll occasionally, you know, position it to, if we have the option, to, like, catch 
the wind better. We did that at Cape May, like had a very intentional, um, you know, setup of how we wanted the truck positioned. So um, Cape May Brewing to, down, yeah, uh, down yeah. the tip of the state, down exactly. the shore. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. And so that was, you know, allowing it to, uh, basically uh, catch all the, all the wind headed in. Um, but other times it's just, you know, opening up, there's very little wind. Um, we used to occasionally use a small fan um, to encourage that, but I stopped because I don't. I don't there wasn't I don't, a discernible difference. I don't difference. love it, and yeah, I mean the discernible difference is: will it cool faster if if you're blowing a fan across its surface? Absolutely, but uh, you know we can also just wait a little. I think that's fine. You said uh, what? Almost a dozen different places in this area. I believe so. Yeah. So, how far out from? where we are, which again, is not far from like Washington's crossing right. of the Delaware. Yeah. Uh, so we're on the Jersey, Pennsylvania border. K-May's probably the furthest. If, okay. If, yeah. If that's, if that's, that's probably a hundred miles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It probably took just about two hours. Okay. Um, most of the places are half an hour to an hour away. Okay. I would say. What I was starting, uh, starting to get at though was, have you noticed any sort of change in the flavor profile mm of one place that might be 30 miles from another place that might be so 100 miles, right. wherever. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the tricky thing of having, mm, this is, you know, it's, it's, non, it's non-science, right? Yeah. And so everything is so variable. Not only is everything inherently variable because you open it up to the outside air and so, you know, invite nature to do whatever it's going to do, but... Uh, even the choices that we make, there's not necessarily, I'm less interested in performing the exact same brew day at every location. Um, and certainly you don't want it to be like a homogenized kind of, right. Not necessarily. I think, I think I would always rather leave room for kind of, I don't know, uh, intuition to play a role. If something comes up that seems at odds with what we would do otherwise, I think we should go with that. Um, if there are, if it's like a slightly warmer day, we might increase the hopping rate to stave off a little more bacteria. Um, and so then that's no longer a, you know, a fair comparison. Everybody's like kettles and mash tons for that matter work a somewhat different way. Uh, the, so like the evaporation rate can be pretty variable depending on where we're at, which can have a huge impact on the final product, everybody's brewing water can be a little bit different, mm-hmm. and we don't uh, chemically adjust at this point beyond dechlorination. Okay. Um, at this so, point, is it something you're thinking about? No, in the, that, okay. uh, in the early, like our first brewing season, we did, you know, some like gypsum and calcium chloride and things, uh, small little, yeah, strike water and adjustments. It just didn't... But, well, I mean, it was just at a certain point, it was like, this is. We tried it once without it, and we tasted them all six months out. And if there's no appreciable difference, I don't really want to, you know, start messing with things sure. too much. Um, so, yeah, so we don't know. Um, and if we ever brew here, we're on well water here, and it's a very, um, yeah, we, we got the water tested, and it's, it's some fun hard water. Like, might, you know take its toll on our equipment, but I want to use as close to that as possible. And here being, so this is a 13,000 square foot yes. warehouse that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, just sort of an industrial park in Jersey, but, uh, it really has, it's, I mean, it's, it's I like to call it a business park. Okay. 
<laughs> no, that's, it's that's a, fine. A rose by any other name it's, is uh, well, yeah. it's it's an industrial park on a on like a in like a semi like semi agricultural area. Okay. You know where I it's like mean it in a disparaging no, no, no. way. It's, it's just it's just for people, especially by the time you say New Jersey and industrial park, there it they can give <laughs> it can give a different idea. Yeah. No. The Sopranos. I'm not trying to on location exactly. Here. I'm not trying yeah, to oversell fine. what this is, but uh, yeah. Um, but you're thinking about, uh, at, at some point, your own brewery. At some point in the, yeah, not too, too far future. Um, it'd be good to take control of some of those things. Um, what, what sort of control do you think you'd get back? Like what what, well, what so excites one, you on that? Because like, I remember right. when I first started talking with you I, a couple of years ago, um, uh, I think even right even before you got this off the ground, uh, you were of this camp of, hey, I'm going to like working at other places like oh you, i certainly you still do yeah okay. yeah yeah um yeah but you get to a certain point and now there's certain things that you can probably do process wise that you've been thinking about and right i'm sort of curious so, as to what that so path the first is. one the first very pragmatic one is, is what we're, like we were talking about scheduling um with regard to the weather so having the ability to do that is going to you know it's going to be a quality uh concern it's going to mm-hmm. it's going to improve that a little bit um experimentally i feel like we can do a little more um i would love to get let's see a little oversized kettle in here um and do some extended boils that we can't necessarily impose upon other people um like you know very extended boils we did one at cane last spring it depends you know eight to 16 hours something something fun um the one right the one idea being with our our Berliner Messe was always sort of uh, meant to be a kind of hybrid of Berliner Weisse and uh, a Mirzbier from uh, from Belgium, which was like the traditionally the old Beardemar's second runnings um, of a stronger initial Lambic brew day, which then you had to boil for a very very long time because it was nearly water when yeah. it you know first went into the kettle. Um, so I would like to, I'd like to see what we can do with that. If we can take our second runnings and, uh, yeah, reduce them down to like one fifth of their total volume, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, see what happens to that resultant, like uh, yeah. Mixture. Yeah. All right. So it's, uh, things something of that nature. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. All, all kinds of fun That's things. Fun. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to keep talking ingredients in just a minute, but, uh, first I also want to thank our other sponsors for this episode hops direct five generations of hops grown in yakima valley washington sold directly from their farm to you skip the middleman and go for the farm fresh green their hops are harvested processed and kept in cold storages there on their farm until shipping straight to you find 100 plus domestic and imported varieties in pallet and leaf year-round on their website by the pound at wholesale pricing thanks for supporting family-owned shopping small is a big deal HopsDirect.com, or you can email them at info at HopsDirect.com, or find them on social media at HopsDirect. Also, balancing barley and hops is your expertise, and for Clarion Lubricants, food-grade lubricants is theirs. The team at Clarion knows that when it comes to making great beer, you're the expert, and when it comes to supplying food-grade lubricants backed by service-oriented professionals, they're the experts. 
Clarion will work with you to create an efficient lubrication program that helps protect your brewery. To speak with an expert, dial 1-855-MY-CLARION, that's 1-855-692-5274, or visit clarionlubricants.com. Clarion Lubricants, the experts that experts trust. There's two different things, James, uh, James Priest, as we're sitting here in your Refrain Beer Blendery uh, in a business park, mm, uh, not far from where Washington <laughs> crossed the Delaware. I'm just going to keep adding on uh, to this sentence as we go. Uh, so there's two things. There, there's the spontaneous uh, season. There's your mm -hmm. brewing season. But then there's also your fruit season. Mm, and yes. we're in that now. We're yes. recording this in, in, in summertime. Mm -hmm. uh, things are starting to pop up uh, in the garden, on Boy, the farms, in the orchards. Um, so it's, it's a year-round process for a single beer. This isn't yes. like a uh, you know, one-day-and-done kind of thing for, for what so many other beer makers right. do. Um, what's exciting to you about fruit right now uh what are you looking for when it comes to beginning the blending process to get them into the barrels i mean i, I see you have whiskey barrels you have wine barrels mm -hmm. uh there's a couple of punchins of you know unknown origin and mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. uh, uh other spirits and other uh wines as well and in, in in that vein um how do you start to approach that do you just start talking to your suppliers and say what do you got? Or do yeah. you go and ask for saying, I have this, I have a couple of these barrels that I think would be perfect for, you know, X. Right. Do you have it? It generally starts, I mean, it, it generally, I mean, obviously the whole thing starts with the, you know, the work that we have and then the beer that comes from it um, with a good deal of time. But generally the way we approach fruit is, you know, seeing what is available locally that is exciting to us, which, you know, can be something we've worked with in the past and just love, um, or it could be something that wasn't available the last season because of a late frost. Um, those, those things are always exciting <coughs> on account of, you know, just their, uh, I don't know, uh, inherent rarity around mm -hmm. here. Apricots and plums, they're certainly, you know, unreliable. So whenever we can get them, we're that much more excited to it's a little kind of you know uh like beer line mentality where it's like you just uh not not beer lines like draft lines but you know actually yeah, but standing up to in the, line for yeah so you're going to the Nobody's farms and like you know I, lining up at 3 30 in the morning yeah, for your apricot fix blessedly that... not that bad but uh <laughs> but the excitement you know yeah. the excitement's still there so we did a ton of research the past two and three years about what farms grew what, um, you know, started buying from them, seeing what the fruit quality was like, seeing what the people were like. Um, and I, this year I was very, very lazy. The last years I was always, you know, researching like crazy, driving all over these three Walking or four the land, states. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Tasting, tasting the fruits of the land and seeing what's here. And, and this year I was like, well, I, I guess I missed, <coughs> missed the window on, um, you know, whatever, dark juice, sour cherries. And the day I was decided to, you know, okay, I, I really, really, you know, it's been on my to-do list for a week now. I got to make sure to get this call onto the farmer and see if there's anything. Then he calls because we worked together last year and it's, 
that's happened like three or four times now where the farmers are reaching out to us with with the fruit that we might like sometimes we've worked with it in the past other times they just know that they've got a big crop all of a sudden and you know Need are a you home going for and it? delivering the beer to them afterwards, giving them a bottle to, to taste no. to see where it goes? I've been very bad at that. Okay. One of the reasons is just because I'm forgetful and I just leave here just in a big old hurry. Yeah. You know, trying to get anywhere. But the other is that it is usually absurdly hot. And so if there's any, like, stop that stop that needs to be made on the way and I've got, you know, a bottle of... Not not fragile beer, but I don't want it hurt by a you know 120 degree hot car either. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's always a concern. I guess I just need to learn how to you know use a cooler. But uh, I was gonna say there's, there's technology there's, there's that things. exists. Yeah, frequently. So I'm doing this like in just like a you know little Subaru, and so I remove everything from the car in order to fit as much possible fruit in it on the way back. Um, so like sometimes you know you get like the uh, You've loaded up the passenger seat and forget to buckle the seatbelt. And so for an hour drive home, it's just dinging at you the whole way that, you know, thinks there's a person there. It's just, it's just 300 <laughs> pounds of grapes or 300 <laughs> pounds of blueberries. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, when you're looking for fruit, though, are you trying to get it at peak freshness are you trying to get it a little underripe? Are you trying to get it a little overripe? Like where where have you found? Generally, we're trying to get it ripe to overripe. Okay. Um, now, and when you now have a line on blueberries and you yes. have the three hundred pounds or you know grapes or whatever that's in your car, yeah. Um, you're now working. Is it coming from here, or is it coming from the farm in your car? Yeah. And then directly into. Here. Directly here, directly, yeah. If it's something like that where it's um, time sensitive, like any berries are, grapes are, you know, like peaches, nectarines, plums are probably the only things that aren't like terribly, yeah, Yeah. terribly time sensitive. Um, We don't even have a walk in here, so it's very much like as soon as, yeah, as soon as as fruit gets here, we're processing it. Exactly. Everybody knows you just grab your knife and your cutting board, and here we go. yeah, but it's so right. Generally, uh, ripe to overripe. When when things start reaching that overripeness, <coughs> they can be a little harder to sort um, if they're a little bit you know falling apart, um, or that's also when they're most at risk for maybe carrying a you know acetobacter in, um, which could be a little too dominant in the spontaneous refermentation clean them off beforehand or it's coming no, straight you no, want that no it's very much yeah uh, of the wine making school of thought where um, you would you would never wash your grapes you just you know you just sort them and you you know process them however uh, you know whatever befits the wow. the fruit that you're working with uh, yeah that strikes me as terrifying yeah, well, I mean, it's isn't that in line with everything though that is wild beer? That's that's always been my thinking. Is yes, it is it is terrifying, but it's more it's more terrifying to me to take like a, a truly wild beer, as in one not you know grown up in a lab um, of, of the yeast cultures used, and uh, and then add to it anything that isn't correspondingly. Yeah. Natural, wild, just occurring somewhere. Um, the regulation of it. Yeah, I think you think the whole, to me, right, the whole ethos behind, yeah, 
wild brewing is is terrifying it's it's you know how do we how do we get out of the way of what this process is um and just sort of be you know gentle careful custodians of this fermentation such that it yields something pleasing at the end the nature of wild beer and you sort of touched upon this of you know coming up in a lab I, mm-hmm. I i think we've lost as it's become more mainstream uh we've lost a little bit of what it means to be truly wild mm. and i've had conversations with other uh brewers and blenders about this in the past but i'm curious on 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 your take of you know i mean i, I don't we, imagine we, you right. walk into a place where somebody has a you know Britannomyces whatever on and you're gonna say oh, well if you use the smack pack like you know uh, go to hell you're, you're <laughs> no, not right, you're not no, that we, guy we drink the hell out of those yeah. Yeah, yeah no they're great they're great beers um, but is there... I think is, we lost the, the wild nomenclature like over a decade ago. Um, and not, I, not, like, not like it's a bad thing necessarily, but I think attempts to recapture that are going to, uh, I don't know, yeah, be perhaps a little futile. You know, we've, uh, wild in beer 10 and 15 years ago was being used, but it always just meant, hey, we spiked this with Britannomyces, or we accidentally spiked this with Britannomyces. <laughs> or it accidentally got in there. Right. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't right, accidentally right. spike For it. For whatever it just, reason, yeah. that's what the Britannomyces test, is which now Which actually, in, yeah. in that case, it is maybe more properly wild than, uh, yeah, than so, if you buy your Brett Brooks so back. And, where do you steer the conversation then? to folks because that that word is thrown around it's why so we're casually. trying to write because because to me in theory it is synonymous with spontaneous um we're just trying to teach people what it means to be spontaneous which uh i always forget until we like go to festivals and people are saying spontaneous you mean like so you just like on a whim brew this beer how does that work because we only know that you know one more prevalent definition of spontaneous, but yeah. of course the, the other one that's maybe more uh, prevalent in other languages um, is just sort of, yeah, immediately, naturally occurring, you know, without, without any kind of uh, intervention or, or thought behind it. It's just what happens spontaneously. But I guess the question is, if you, as you have people in here on the weekends and people who line up at the Great American Beer Festival to taste your beer, mm-hmm. I know you're out there last year for it, when, when, when you're trying to discuss your beer mm-hmm. and then there is somebody who's three booths down or a, another brewery 10 miles from here that's using similar language, are you trying to differentiate yourself in any way? Are you trying to be... I, I don't mean disparaging right, no, no. towards somebody else, but like, but well, but, yeah, but what you're doing is different that's from what. Right. That's always sort of the struggle. Is uh, is that right? When you're doing something that is very difficult and very different, you do have to let people know what you're doing and why, and what it means to do those things. Right. Um, and it is, yeah, inherently, I think, going to be a kind of differentiation um not necessarily that it's better but it's certainly what we find uh interesting and philosophically coherent um for what we do um 
so we have to, yeah, constantly work to educate on what those unique things are. And really the time you run into problems or where it can be seen as, you know, denigrating the work of other brewers is like using fresh fruit, which is to me what the pinnacle of brewing with fruit would be. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole spectrum and one that's not, frankly, well afforded to clean brewers, right? So I wouldn't really advocate that somebody trying to make, you know, a fruited golden ale used a bunch of fresh fruit if they didn't want, you know, untreated if they didn't want what's going to come in that off risk, that. Right? Yeah. Um, but you've got, you know, artificial flavorings. You've got various forms of extracts. You've got puree, which is mostly real fruit, but with God knows what chemicals to preserve it and that was a little ex excessively fear-mongering perhaps but i literally don't know what kinds of chemicals sorbates i don't know um pasteurized uh so that you could use it you know for anything and then you have real fruit and it's of that whole spectrum we don't want to touch any of those other things and we have to let people know that hey that beer that you love that tastes like a peach trolley whatever mm -hmm. peach ring that's it tastes like that not because there are so many peaches in it you know peaches don't taste like that right it can taste stronger of the idea of fruit flavor than our peach beer does um but it's not it certainly is uh, not the real thing one of the things that I'm curious about though is when so now that you have you've used um, let me back up uh, just one little bit because uh, age tops I think are are, are are a fun thing that contributes so much to mm. the final flavors Certainly. of these beers um, and there's been so much talk recently of just what you know on some of these message boards milk the funk and, mm -hmm. and, and others on the role that aged hops are actually playing mm -hmm. uh, aside from just you know some earthy flavors to it maybe a right. little cheesy and a little mm -hmm. you know whatever else um what are you looking for when you're using aged hops like when do you know that they're ready for the beers mm. that you're hoping to, oh, so like, okay. to to make yeah um it's hard to say off of like just sensory from the hops themselves. It's not necessarily as easy maybe as sensory analysis of, um, of fresh hops and yeah. seeing what they're, you know. It's a huge difference. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I would say if I had the absolute luxury of doing so, um, we would, there, there's sort of a range of aromas that can that aged hops can produce. And for us, it's generally like, is it in the herbal tea-like realm or is it in the sweatier feet realm, <laughs> you know? Uh, and there's nothing wrong at all with that sweatier, footier realm, mm -hmm. but it's it should probably, it would be better used in a wort that's going to be boiled for a good long while. Right. Where uh, those can sort of, yeah volatilize they can they can blow off of uh of the of that long boil and you can just extract the nice tannin nice leafy tannin uh that's what you're looking for yeah i think i think in general um and 
it's going to i think inherently it's 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 going to contribute that mm -hmm. the, the the sort of finer points of um of whatever aromatics it had dry in your you know hop aging situation but yeah it might uh might be better to to at least have some of them leave <laughs> leave the beer okay and then you're using a local maltster as well you're using yes. rabbit hill Rabbit Hill for, for all malt, um, almost all raw wheat. They've been great. I mean, they've been great in general. Love them. But uh, they've, uh, they keep planting a bunch of new stuff, malting it. Um, so we get buckwheat, oats now. Um, got some spelt, some rye. It's, uh, yeah. It's exciting. It's become pretty good. Yeah. And as you're talking to... As you're looking at what's aging, as you're looking at uh, what's going to be harvested uh, and, and, and malted for you, do you start fooling around with recipes in your head? Do you start, you know, if they're saying, okay, we think we're going to have, you know, X pounds of this grain, we haven't had it before, you haven't used it before. Right. Um, like walk me through the process of, you know, trying to pull something together. Well, we have not a ton of... Uh, well, we have not, you know, permitted ourselves a ton of outlets for, you know, interesting grain. Our our Berliner-based grist is basically at this point 50-50 uh, or 60-40 uh, hmm. pills malt. Or no, sorry, raw wheat to pills malt. We okay. are on the side of more raw wheat at this point. Um, it used to have some malted wheat, <laughs> but not anymore. Um was it just doing something that's, that you that's didn't all like? Or was it? No, okay. nah, it's, no, it's just, you know, playing around. <laughs> with a shrug. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then with the golden ales, you know, 60-40 pills malta raw wheat, those are pretty well set in stone. We don't mess with them too much. Um, we've done some kind of more experimental things, like an all-oat grist, where we tried to do, you know, 60-40 malted oats to unmalted oats. Um which worked out. it's just horrible extract yeah. you know it's like so we need to really for the next one especially because then we're going to probably blend the two so we have to massively overshoot it and make some kind of you know i don't know 17 plato beer or something which <laughs> for other people not not so crazy but for us we're like we everything's between you know seven and 13 plato so That's well a, outside of your comfort zone at this it's point a, yeah well, i'm comfortable it's just uh yeah it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of grain <laughs> When you're doing these experimentations, when you're trying different things, I, I, one of the questions that I get asked a, a, a lot uh, you know, by readers and, mm -hmm. and listeners to the podcast and everything is, how do brewers know when something is ready? When there's so many different mm -hmm. variables, because it's not, it's not like a set recipe. It's not necessarily a right. uh, following BJCP, whatever. It, it's, there's this sort of intuitive sense of, you know, the blender, the yeah. brewer saying, okay, now I think that this is the perfect representation. Right. And I think you can get in your head and say, you know, maybe I'll give it three more weeks. It might be perfect now, but let me see where it's at in three more weeks. And then maybe it'll even be better, but maybe it, maybe it's it, worse, it right. exactly. So I look around at all of these barrels that you have and you know, you're doing tastings off of them. You have all sorts of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, different fruits and, and mm -hmm. different treatments going on, different woods as well. Um, what is it for you? What speaks to you? What's the, the um, angel or the devil on your shoulder? So I think there's largely a tendency 
um, in, I don't know, maybe in spontaneous brewing to overage, if anything. Yeah. Which is, it, it can be, you know, used for definitely interesting and cool effect. Um, but the sort of, uh, you know, fetishization of like extreme, like three years is, is a very long time. Four years is a very long time for a, for a beer to sit in barrels. And it's, especially if you're not going to, uh, to top up your barrels, it's a, it's a very long and very risky time. And obviously the longer it sits there, the more rent it pays and the more expensive it gets. So it's, it's a balancing act there. Um, we do have, you know, three plus old barrels um, that we are working with, and they've, they've made the journey wonderfully. And I'm, yeah. I'm very, very happy about that, but I'm certainly, you know, acutely aware we've had enough barrels where it's like at 18 months, they taste beautiful. 15, 18 months, they're tasting gorgeous. And it's like, what, you know, what are we holding on to this for? If anything... I like to kind of try to identify part of the, part of the thing with the, with the age tops, like we were talking about. Um, if you use enough of them, it can still contribute a lot of bitterness and astringency. Sure. Um, even if they're very well aged. Um, so that's something that ages out pretty well. So in, in a young beer, in like a year old beer, if it still tastes astringent at all from, you know, from, like, like a hop-derived astringency, we know maybe we leave this one alone for, you know, if we need something for two and three years, this is probably the likely candidate. A lot of it is looking at your total barrel stock and saying how, you know, trying to think of yourself in the future and say how, how am I going to make sure I've, you know, accorded myself enough, uh, yeah, barrel stock. Right. Right, for of, of different ages for for the next couple of years. And so those would be candidates for that. And if something is, you know, just singing at, you know, 15 months, I think it's time to use it. You got to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Even, even some beers, uh, nine, 10 months old, they're, they're at least candidates for fruiting. Um, especially if you know, you're going to try to have like a more extended skin contact time on the fruit, depending on what it is. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's, it, I mean, taste we haven't talked about that but like yeah. and and well, really yeah, like, and really knowing what you want knowing what you like um which can be hard as everyone's trying to tell you what you're supposed to like but you know tasting a wide diversity of not just beer maybe especially in in this line of work but wine maybe fortified wines oxidative wines um things that have maybe a fairly close affinity with what you're trying to do that might even if even if you learn i hate i hate this character how do i avoid this and the answer is top up all your barrels keep right. them topped up constantly if you if you hate that um that nutty oxidative note just uh yeah mitigate it with with uh yeah every ounce of ullage reducing uh yeah top up material you can we see a lot of the trends though because taste i think is is super important in this because these beers can be either polarizing for a lot of folks 
but I also think can be a great gateway Definitely. for wine drinkers, especially to come into to beer, especially if they're done with the with the care and the precision and the the thoughtfulness that that you're doing with yours. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't. There's nothing trendy about these right now. You know, it's it's people standing in line for pastry stouts and milkshake sure. IPAs and sour IPAs and everything else that's sort of out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now with the with the tail wagging the dog, um, and those get a lot of people coming in and thinking about beer in a certain way. You know, they're capturing the the imagination of the 21 year olds who now maybe think that you know all beer is supposed to taste like strawberry banana milkshakes yes, or yes, yes. you know peanut butter cups or, or whatever, right. whatever it is. And I'm not dismissing it because I think it's great that they're drinking local and, and they're supporting sure. local. Um, but your but taste for you goes a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, well, yeah. We're seeing, we're seeing the industry expand like in, in every direction probably. Um, so uh, where on one side we maybe have... Um, certain infantilizing flavors mm-hmm. um it's good use of the word on on maybe some others we have increasingly you know difficult secondary and tertiary kind of fermentation derived characters that people are unfamiliar with they weren't yeah. you know eating uh raw cheeses as children and and seeing what kinds of uh you know, flavors and aromas could be produced there or, you know, naturally processed coffee or they weren't drinking, yeah, weird wine or whatever, you know, the, they're, to me. How do you bridge it? Um, I think, I mean, so certain times accidentally we will, well, only half accidentally we'll bridge it. At times it can be as simple as, hey, you had vanilla, you know, real vanilla beans to a fruited sour beer and people that, that, that beer drinker will find something in it now. That's familiar. Yeah. That is, that is now familiar to them. Um, and maybe that's a gateway for them. Um, I don't, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of, I think there's enough kind of catering to a very, specific uh vocal group mm-hmm. in, in 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 beer now um that i don't really feel the need to like change everything that we're doing um as a result um especially not if it's not in line with every other kind of principle that that we seem to hold um so i think we just we generally just want to keep doing our thing, which, you know, which we think coheres and makes sense and, and, uh, and be there for people whenever it's something they want to try. You know, we try to have a semi-wide range of, uh, of acid profile. Um, we like to use different fruit because you never know what's going to latch on with, you know, something that someone loves. And yeah. even that can be a kind of, I mean, infantilizing thing. We've literally seen children, you know, drink Creek in Belgium. And so they sure. certainly have the idea of that. And even anyone else, if you're used to just, you know, if you remember eating sour cherries as a kid or whatever, and then you Brings it back. Get a, yeah, and you get a nice glass of, of a Creek, 
here uh, that's gonna that might that might feel good even if even if you're not generally uh, a fan or proponent of the style. We're running out of time, but I, I I'm curious about making a creek and. I don't see too many out there, mm-hmm. or not as many as I would like. Uh, I know that there's a, a festival that happens every year out in Oregon, oh, yeah. uh, the Creek, Creek Fest, yep. and Brian Yeager, I think, runs that, and uh, he's, he's good people. Um, what to you, when you're making mm-hmm. a creek, what do you strive for? Um, I mean, cherry intensity of flavor is going to be the, you know, the foremost. Um, there's always kind of a question of how you balance it with your underlying beer. Yeah. Um, but I think it should be slightly more pronounced than the underlying beer. Um, and we like to so more more cherry than beer. Yes, but with with the with the with the additional information that cherry should should represent ideally to me like the entirety of the cherry um like including including the pit and the kind of almond cinnamon character mm-hmm. that that can yield after you know many many months of uh re-fermentation maceration so we do all of ours all of our yeah all of our creeks in in wood because we leave them there for six to ten months yeah. um and just let the cherry totally fall apart so you get a ton of obviously skin contact, but also that kind of pit character just gets absorbed into the beer and yeah, can be a nice complete expression of that cherry. And you still want it to be more natural than, cause I mean, I've had some mm-hmm. that taste like Robitussin or taste like, right. I know, don't that think just... that any cherries touched those beers. Yeah. 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 With, yeah, I imagine we've all had those. Maybe some of our first cherry beers ever. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a huge difference and you, right. Certainly yeah. a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. In a minute, James Priest, I'm going to ask you where you still want to explore in the realm of beer. But first, mm-hmm. I would like to thank our episode sponsors uh, for this week. G&D is ready to meet your chilling challenge. Your chilling challenge, I should say. Uh, you should download the free Tavor app today. Hops Direct has grown hops in Yakima Valley for five generations. Check them out. And Clarion Lubricants are the experts you need when it comes to your lubrication needs. James, you're doing a lot uh, with nature and what nature is providing, what nature can put into beer. What are you still looking to explore? What is, what's, the next, what's the next summit you're looking to? I think, I think we, can always, summit, right, I we can always do more um, with uh, malt diversity. Um, that seems still the most forgotten, overlooked element in beer, despite being its foundation. Yeah. Um, obviously like, right. The, the character of the beers that we produce here are always going to be more yeast expressive, you Mm -hmm. know, fermentation derived, uh, character, but uh, yeah, I would love to see what we can do with, yeah, with different, with different wort types from different grains, different malts. Um, working locally, but yeah, exploring that further. I, I neglected to mention earlier that like Mont Saint Victoire, our, our like Cezanne, or our you know spontaneous impression of Cezanne. Uh, that that's sort of our outlet for when we get those you know cool, 
cool new malts. Right, cool, cool grains and things is uh, yeah, we we use them in there and see what see what becomes of them. Um, and then just out of, using some of the local ingredients, you know, ingredients local and or native to us that maybe aren't necessarily the easiest to use uh, bureaucratically. Well, we've been pretty lazy as far as, uh, you know, if it's not, like, approved by the FDA, then, you know, it's not, it's not always, like, worth our time if we have to do so many different, have to jump through so many hoops just to use it in a beer. Yeah. Um, but there are so many brewers like Scratch in Illinois and uh, Antidote in Belgium um, that even Plan B, you know, and, uh, yeah. Evan and, Watson uh, up in yeah, the Hudson exactly. Valley. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really cool to see them use, you know, not even necessarily obscure ingredients, just obscure for beer, just like the ingredients that are maybe all around you all the time that yeah. you didn't think of, didn't identify as ingredients to begin with. Um, I think there's a lot to be done there. Well, if people want to see what you're doing and taste what you're doing firsthand, if you're a history buff... Um, yeah, Washington Crossing is not far from here. If, uh, uh, I imagine you're closed on Christmas Day, but they do the reenactment um, yeah. uh, down there. I, I wouldn't open up on that day. But, uh, but if you wanted to come and see where that uh, particular military action happened, uh, you can. It's not too far from here. And then you stop in here. So where do people find you? So uh, here at the Blendery is the most reliable place to find okay. our beer. Um, we self-distribute a little bit around the state, but not too, too much or okay. reliably. Um, we're distributed in Pennsylvania, mostly southeastern Pennsylvania, around the Philly area, but also maybe not terribly reliably. Okay. Um, there's just, you know, not a ton of beer. Where do they find you online? Thereferend.com or, you know... Uh, shoddily assembled Twitter, a, a decently attended to Instagram, a widely neglected Facebook. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, you're really selling yourself here. <laughs> uh, if you want to find us at the magazine, uh, all of our social media channels are hopping, and our website is really the place to go, which we update daily. It's beerandbrewing.com. There you can subscribe to the magazine. Please subscribe to the magazine. You can also check out, if you're in the industry, our brewing industry guide. Uh, which gives you insider information as to what's happening among your peers uh, with raw ingredients, uh, legal uh, insight and advice, as well as how to manage a tap room uh, effectively. That's a quarterly brewing industry guide. We're starting to work on the next one. So uh, subscribe now and you can probably get our uh, quarter four that we're going to start working on. And then obviously uh, Beer and Brewing Magazine, uh, Craft Beer and Brewing six times a year subscribe online check us out if you have questions for me guests you'd want to hear topics you'd like addressed, you can reach out to me directly at john hall it's j-o-h-n-h-o-l-l at beerandbrewing.com or you can join the conversation on twitter at john underscore hall although i feel like i've been neglecting it as well these days james priest the referent beer blendery here in scenic farmland new jersey thanks so much for for sitting down and, and talking about this i hope we can do it again soon absolutely thanks so much all right cheers thanks. this podcast is brought to you by craft beer and brewing magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craft beer brew